Listener Production. This is the story of Michael Hutchins and In Excess, a story of life, loss and legacy, a band of brothers faced with the unthinkable and the story from those that were there. This is Behind the Hits, Michael Hutchins, In Excess. You know, there was some sort of cynicism with some people, who's your singer now? Well, now they don't have a choice anymore. In our last episode, we plotted the remarkable rise, going from playing to empty Australian venues in 1977 to selling out Madison Square Garden just 10 years later. The album Kick made them household names and the biggest homegrown rock exports Australia had ever seen. It's now July 1991, the decade that would start with the band finally conquering the UK and playing to almost 80,000 fans at the historic Wembley Stadium. But sadly, we know the decade would end in the ultimate tragedy. The band's ambitious and divisive manager Chris Murphy insisted in excess film the Wembley concert including using 17 state-of-the-art cameras to capture every bead of sweat. Here's in excesses John Farris and Kirk Pengilly on the iconic moment. You know, one of the famous lines um, is Chris telling us before he walked on, you know, hey, make this a good gig because we're filming it. Um, A little bit of hyperbole in that, that little story because we did know a little bit earlier than that. But still, we were so busy on tour that... Yeah, we just needed to be reminded because every gig was just as important as the one before. So um, it was just another gig, except that it was filmed at the most prestigious um, venue in the world, I guess. And so well done, Chris, for filming that. And uh, and all the proceeds for that gig went to the film. It really was pretty amazing, um, especially, you know, something like New Sensation where pretty much the whole, you know, 78,000 people are bouncing in time together. It's, it's, it's nuts. I still get goosebumps when I watch it. In Excess's follow-up to Kick, 1990's X, returned the band to charts and hearts around the world with hits Suicide Blonde and Disappear. But starting the 90s on a high, the rest of the decade would challenge In Excess in the most tragic ways possible. The other night I went and spent some time at the room in the Ritz to see if it had any answers. It seemed a sad room. It definitely wasn't Michael. In March 1992, they staged the Concert for Life in Sydney, playing with acts like Crowded House. The gig would raise over $600,000 for Sydney's St Vincent Hospital. They'd use a full orchestra on stage to preview a song they'd just recorded, Baby Don't Cry, as well as to elevate classics like Never Tear Us Apart. Manager Chris Murphy, who'd always been cautious of in excess becoming victims of the tall poppy syndrome, watched the media tear the band apart with stories about excessive spending and fancy dressing rooms at this charity show. The two occasions when excess and myself got our asses kicked by our own country is when we're actually trying to do in both occasions, one for well, both occasions for free, to do something put back in, and they're the times we were chosen to be slaughtered. Now, thirty years later, Kirk looks back at the event with mixed emotions. At that point, we were, um, you know, perhaps at the peak, maybe beyond the peak of our career. I can't recall, but I think there was a lot of people within the Australian music industry that 
hated our manager. And I think that's kind of where it stemmed from. So there was a, yeah, quite a bit of untrue bad media put out about us around that period, which was really, really hurtful. You know, here we were thinking we were doing a good thing, try, you know, raising money for this uh, cardiac wing in St Vincent's Hospital. Still to come, the fateful accident that led to Michael Hutchins' wild mood swings and his new daily battle. You know, waking up here, furniture being thrown around the room, going, fuck that, I'm, I'm leaving. I'm leaving. I don't want to be here. I don't want to be with the bad. I don't like anybody. And that was more about he didn't like himself. In 1992, Welcome to Wherever You Are saw In Excess return to a more experimental sound than the stadium rock of Kick and X. While it was successful in Australia, the UK and Europe, it confused American audiences. The band's decision to not tour the record after years of the album tour, album tour cycle hurt their commercial fortunes in an era where grunge was taking over. The album's producer Mark Opitz said staying on the road at the peak of grunge saw U2 and Bon Jovi weather the changing musical fortunes. Had they toured that album and used their backlog of hits and used where the stage, uh, the technical stage presentation had progressed to, I think they would have survived. Opitz produced In Excess's 93 album Full Moon, Dirty Hearts, but just three months before starting work on it, Michael Hutchins was in Copenhagen with supermodel girlfriend Helena Christensen when tragedy struck. During a night on the town, Michael was punched from behind by a cab driver, causing him to fall and crack his head on the footpath. It would lead to not only losing his sense of taste and smell, but severe brain injuries which would impair him for the rest of his life. Mark Opitz was living with Michael during the album's fiery recording sessions. That period after the accident where he just lost self-esteem confidence, I reflected on he and I sharing a villa on the Isle of Capri during Full Moon Dirty Hearts and, you know, waking up here, furniture being thrown around the room and going, fuck that, I'm, I'm leaving. I'm leaving. I don't want to be here. I don't want to be with the bad. I don't like anybody. And that was more about he didn't like himself because of his self-esteem being dropped so much by this. His sense of smell was gone and his sense of taste was gone. And that, you know, it really affected his self-esteem. He'd be arguing about the band and blaming the band for this and that and the other, but I knew what it was about. It was about him. And I'd say to Michael, you can't leave. There's no ferries going at 3 o'clock in the morning. Let's talk about this, you know, um, tomorrow morning and, and go like that. But it used to, it'd come right. But the thing was, the damage had been done. Michael's friend Dorothy Carvello said the accident had a major impact on the singer. We know that... When you have pain, what do they give you today? They give you an opioid um, to help do it. And it obviously, with that kind of a trauma, it leads to depression. We know that today. And also suicide is a side effect of that uh, traumatic brain injury. We know a lot about it.
Coming up, the secret plan for a female singer to take in excess into the next decade publicly backfires. There was a formal offer from their manager. I was really seriously thinking about doing it. This is Behind the Hits, Michael Hutchins in excess. As the clock ticked ever closer, unknowingly, Michael explored other life passions outside of being the front man in a band. The mid-90s saw Hutchins try his hand at acting in Hollywood, as well as working on a solo album that sadly would only be released after his death. He'd be back with In Excess as they released their 10th and final album with him called Elegantly Wasted in April 1997. The same month they started a 20th anniversary tour in America where In Excess superfan Angela caught them live for the final time with Michael. Hi there, I'm Angela. I am a lifelong In Excess and Michael Hutchins fan, originally born in America, but now living and working in Australia. On their final tour in 1997, I had the privilege of seeing them in New York, actually. They played the Beacon Theatre in September of 1997, and that was just roughly six weeks or so before Michael's passing. I'll never forget the show because at the end of it, near the end of the encore, Michael invited actually the people who were down on the front on the main level to come up on stage. And it was such a memorable thing. I thought, wow. And in that time, I thought they're in a really good headspace. In Excess would play 68 concerts in 1997 before planning for a triumphant homecoming tour of Australia due to start on November 23rd. The band held a press conference in Sydney to announce their return and hold up secretly in the ABC studios to rehearse for the ill-fated tour. But on the morning of November 22, 1997, the world would be thrown into chaos. The body of Michael Hutchins was found in room 524 of the Ritz-Carlton Hotel in Ritzy Double Pay. He was just 37. Channel 7's Michael Usher was a young reporter who was tasked with covering the story. Initially, we couldn't get any confirmation at all. Chief of staff came over to me and said, do you want to start making some calls? It was weekends, our regular police reporters went on. You ring police, they never tell you anything. They're not going to say immediately, oh yeah, by the way, you know, one of the most famous men in the world has just died and we'll give you some details. It's always denial. So it was a whole lot of talk around it. So then you just exercise some good old fashioned journalism. I hit the phones. I thought, well, you know, what's in Double Bay? So I rang shops in the area. I rang shops around the hotel. And in fact, it was um, a celebrity hairdresser who I got hold of in his salon. And I said, look, I know you know the area. And he goes, stop you there. I've spoken to the doorman over at the hotel. He's saying to me, it's Michael Hutchins and that he's died in his hotel room. I said, seriously, like it's, it's confirming what we getting coming in, uh, not a source to go breaking news with, but we nonetheless went with news saying there's, you know, a, poli- a lot of police activity in Double Bay, reports of someone of some name, um, big operation, they'd sealed the hotel. There was a lot of activity that instantly made it news. It took a little while for it to be confirmed as Michael Hutchins. And it does happen with big news in any newsroom, particularly when, you know, you're a fan as well, you know, and many of us were, are, where it just drops and it goes silent for a few seconds and you take it in and you go, that can't be true. 
Michael Hutchins is dead? In unthinkable circumstances, his in excess bandmates were told the news while they waited together for Michael to turn up late for rehearsals. Here's Kirk Pengilly. I'd spent quite a bit of time in that week leading up to it with Michael because he was staying in Double Bay and I lived in Potts Point. Um, and uh, on maybe three or four of the days, I picked him up and drove him to the rehearsal. And I socialised with him on, on one or two nights, I think. Um, and he seemed to be in a really great place. He was he was excited about working on some solo material. Um, he played me, you know, one day played me one song and told me that this is the only song that he was happy with at the time. Um, and so I... Um, yeah, I, it's, you know, what happened that night, who knows? Um, you know, only Michael was in the room, so it's hard to say. As fate would have it, Jimmy Barnes had caught up with his friend on his arrival back to Australia. I remember seeing Michael when he flew in to Sydney um, and, he, and he looked really tired and really, he looked really worn out. And, uh, and it's one of those, I just, I felt like the need I had to talk to him as, as a friend and, and I rang him up. He said he was having a bit of a tough time. Just, you know, he was tired, you know, the, the touring and, and, and that much pressure on him as being the biggest band in the world at the time was, was just incredible. And that's, of course, you know, you don't think that you're, that you're not going to see your friends like that again. And we said hello and we said, oh, let's get together soon. You know, let's do it, you know. But, you know, it's one of those things where you sort of kick yourself. I don't know if it would have made any difference, but, you know, if I'd have gone round and said hi, then maybe, you know, might have changed the, the course of things. But I think what it sort of showed to me was if you feel that need to reach out to someone, don't hold back. Because, you know, we're not here for a long time, folks. And I think if more people had reached out to Michael, probably, you know, it might help. But who knows? You know, he was, like I said, he was a very complex person. Life is complicated enough, never mind having the pressures of being the biggest rock star in the world, you know, as well, tied into it. He did do it with incredible grace and style. You know, he was very good at hiding the darkness that he felt, you know. Life's not always as rosy as it seems. Coming up, the world reacts to the passing of a legend and the impossible decisions left for a superstar band without their superstar. The international music industry is in shock with the death of rock star Michael Hutchins. The body of the in excess lead singer was discovered in a Sydney hotel room late this morning. The news of Michael's death spread quickly, first around Australia, then globally. Legendary Triple M announcer Lee Simon was live on air when the news came through. I was at work on that day. Um, Couldn't believe what I was hearing. Uh, All of us were stunned. Uh, probably the, the time prior to that, that there was an equal feeling was when we heard that John Lennon had been shot um, and the impact and the effect of Michael passing at that particular time stopped us dead in our tracks. It really did. Um, uh, profoundly sad, as it is when anybody passes away, uh, but from a musical point of view as well, we knew that the music industry and somebody who was so important uh, to our love of music was no longer and things would never be the same. Michael Usher remembers the moment vividly. It was huge because Michael was a rock god. He was huge. I mean, In Excess were the biggest. This was our 
breakthrough Australian band on the major stadium international scene. On a layer beneath that, Michael had also become a tabloid sensation at the time, and I think that's been lost all these years later, um, which wasn't a great part of his fame at all and caused him incredible anxiety and grief. But for everyone else, it just made him extra famous. He was famous for his music. He was famous for his incredible presence on stage, famous for that amazing band that he fronted, famous for the women that he dated um, and his extraordinary love life. He was one of those guys where you loved watching him perform. I loved his music, loved his lyrics. He wrote most of them for In Excess. But you were also a little bit sort of living vicariously through Michael because he he was this rock god, you know, he lived the rock and roll lifestyle. So it was all sort of wrapped up in the one thing, um, which made the news of his death even more powerful. The media who'd already hounded Michael and Paula Yates and their daughter Tiger in the previous months now wanted reactions from in excess. But Kirk Pengilly says a band were told to hide. I guess the weird thing that happened was that, yes, we were all together when we found out, which was fantastic, but then um, our advisors, you know, kind of suggested that we all just sort of bunker down for, you know, maybe a week or whatever, just to sort of avoid kind of doing media stuff and all that sort of thing. So in some ways it was kind of weird because we, we all separated for about a week and then came back together and then there was Michael's funeral. Um, so it was, I don't know, you know, you you, you just uh, deal with, with you know, uh, loss, with, with significant loss in your own way. You know, you can only do it personally, uh, whether we had been together or not. Um, throughout that week, perhaps may may have been different, but you know we all grieve in different ways. So it was a tough time. Kirk escaped to a private place in the country to grieve. I went out of town. I had a farm down south, and I um, drove from rehearsal down to my farm and drank heavily uh, that that evening and, and went to sleep. And I and I actually had a dream. Michael visited me in a dream as an owl. Um, in a field and he said uh, that he's fine and, and that, you know, he, he's free and not to worry sort of thing. And I woke up and, uh, and you know, it might have, might have been two or three in the morning or something uh, and went outside and just, you know, kind of bawled my eyes out. Um, and in some ways uh, that was a massive help to me. John Farris remembers having to hire personal security to protect himself. From the second I found out, that Michael had passed, uh, I entered this whole bizarre kind of altered state uh, in terms of was it shock. I was in shock. So I remember going back to my house uh, completely dazed and sort of knowing that I had to just process it, you know. Uh, and it took me years really just to, to, to fully come to terms with it. Um, and I don't think I'll ever really fully come to terms with it. I don't think one necessarily should in, in some ways. It's just like saying, oh, you know, are you over the death of somebody? No, I mean, you never get over the death of someone. You know, that that's that's tragic and it's shocking and it always will be. But what I did immediately after Michael passed was I went back to my place. I realised that I was just completely vulnerable. I know this is huge and it was hitting, um, you know, mainstream news like crazy. I went to go down to 
get some food to stock up the fridge. And a couple of days after that, Michael had passed. You know, there's already magazines and, and all these headlines. And I just walk into the you know to the supermarket. And there's just like pictures of Michael and, and all these horrific sort of headlines. You know sensationalizing everything I, I just couldn't do it. I couldn't cope with that so I went home and I ordered a kind of like a, a guard guy just to stand at my gate for a week while I just kind of sat in a room and and just you know just stared out the window in, in complete shock Inspired by her favourite band in excess superfan Angela had made her first trip to Australia for a holiday in November 1997 to see the country her iconic band was in. She was in Adelaide when the news of Michael's death broke across the world. I could not even believe my ears. I was absolutely devastated because for me to be in Australia for the first time in my life after being drawn to come here for so many years, when I finally got here, Michael dies. And I was devastated. I um, I literally, look, I'm actually getting a bit choked up thinking about it because it was that that powerful for me. Although devastated by the passing of a man they considered a brother, the remaining five members of In Excess thought honouring Michael was the only way forward. Almost exactly a year since Michael's death, In Excess made their first live appearance at the Mushroom 25th anniversary concert at the MCG in Melbourne. Trusting lifelong friend and industry legend Jimmy Barnes to front the band singing Good Times and The Loved One. Celebrating something like the Mushroom 25th, it was a mixed emotion, you know, like doing that song without Michael um, and, and with that band who were just floundering without him, you know, because, you know, they'd lost their brother. It was like, you know, they, they grew up together. And I don't know how those guys have ever recovered from something like that. To be able to sing with them, it was a beautiful thing to do. Six months later, In Excess performed live post-Michael for the second time at the opening of Sydney's Stadium Australia with 80s hitmaker Terence Trent Darby. It would signal a time in the band's history where they were desperate to move forward as a band of brothers without Michael, yet begin a whirlwind that would end their live performing career. At this point, they turned to Noiseworks frontman John Stevens. John had been friends with In Excess since 1982. He first sang with the band in the year 2000 before becoming a full-time member two years later. John explains. Well, it was more about um, getting their spirit back for me uh, because, you know, they, you know, Michael did what he did and, you know, the band was still a band. There's three brothers in the band and the other two, they're brothers anyway because they all grew up together, but they lost their, their lead singer and, and uh, you know, it was a few years I think three years before they started wanting to play again. And I just thought, you know, you're a band. You want to play, you need a singer. You ask me, yeah, absolutely, I'll jump in there. And I always felt Michael would have been more than happy with that. You know, I really did. I never never felt uh, um, intimidated to the point where I, you know, I, I, I love those songs. I love that band. And I love singing those songs. Uh, they're great songs. And I, I was just honouring him and... Honouring the band, I suppose, and helping them get over that hump of, you know, can we still play, <laughs> you know, and they're, they're an amazing band. This version of In Excess, fronted by John, played nearly 50 shows across the globe in 2002 and even released new music. John Farris says it helped the band deal with their grief. We broke the silence. We, we shattered the, in case of emergency, break the glass, you know, 
shh, don't talk about it, you know, don't go near it. So we just were, you know, fuck it, let's just smash this thing. We broke it open. John started singing. And then we decided to put a gig on and it just went great. So we put another gig on and next thing we had a, a, a string of dates. And it was cathartic and we were healing. I mean, and plus the audience was healing. Um, some people didn't like it and some people did like it. And of course, you know, there was this division that started to happen with, you know, why are you guys still playing and nothing without Michael? So, well, you know, that, you think about how many bands have continued on. And anyone who really knows anything knows no one intends to replace anyone. I mean, you can't replace the person that you lost. You can't replace your mum. You can't replace your dad. And you can't replace Michael. But you can still sing with other people. Because, I mean, we are a band. Kirk Pengilly recalls John Stevens playing a critical role at the time. For the most part, he was a godsend. I mean, he, he helped us get through um, that grieving period and helped us build up our kind of confidence as a band again. And, you know, to realise that, well, people still wanted to see in excess, um, you know, we were still the same band. We still sounded like in excess, um, even with John Stevens singing for us. So, you know, I'm really grateful that John came and, and, uh, and worked with us for that three or four years. At the same time, Andrew Farris was writing new music with John Stevens. He was also in the studio with Susie DeMarkey, lead singer and front woman of Baby Animals. Susie says it was still a raw period as they were lost and soul-searching, still grieving from the loss of Michael. He was so integral in that band. And, and also for Andrew, especially, I think, as his songwriting partner, to lose that, that was really, really difficult. Um, but, yeah, those guys were brothers, so uh, I don't think that, that changes. Yeah, we, Andrew, I mean, we, we, we talked of Michael a lot, but... You know, I wouldn't share any of that stuff. You know, it was devastating for them. Not many people know that Susie DeMarkey was close to signing on as a new singer for In Excess. A savvy, smart female exuding a stage presence and X-Factor persona to take the band into the next phase. There was a formal offer from their manager. It wasn't like, you know, they didn't say, you're going to make this, we'll do this and that. It, what didn't, hadn't got to that point, but it was, it was uh, conversations with their manager at the time. David Edwards, actually, and, uh, and and Andrew and I had spoken quite a bit about it. And actually at the point where they, they just before they were, they'd done that show, I was really seriously thinking about doing it. And then I was like just about to go, mm, yeah, maybe we could try this. And then they, they said, well, we want to do this show. <laughs> so that's how it, how it went. It went down. This show was Rockstar in Excess. The band joined forces with reality TV king Mark Burnett, the brains behind Survivor and The Apprentice franchises. This was a worldwide televised hunt to find a new singer. And the production schedule had commenced. JD, you are right for our band in excess. You are the rock star. However, as fate would play her card, the coveted position was awarded to an unknown Canadian singer and big In Excess fan, JD Fortune. In the kind of rags-to-riches backstory reality TV loved, he was living in his car before applying for the show. Here's JD remembering the invitation to join In Excess. My life was so kind of shit that I couldn't give myself that 
that luxury of even thinking about what this would be like. You mm-hmm. know, like not even like, no, 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 you're not, you're never gonna get it. Don't think that because you're never gonna get it. And because I had, I was so used to life just kicking the crap out of me. While at one in excess a new generation of reality TV fans, it was also polarizing for the band's legacy. However, on the anniversary of Michael's passing, Kurt Pengilly looks back on it fondly. Uh, look, I, I think Rockstar in Excess was amazing. It was a really unique concept. I'm really proud of it. JD Fortune would record and tour with In Excess on and off between 2005 and 2011. Initially, <laughs> we all couldn't really stand JD. We thought there's no way that guy is going to be in our band. He's, you know, he's an idiot. Um, but we, you know, we obviously grew grew to love him, and and also I think at the final crunch, he had pretty much all the goods that we we're looking for. However, the band recorded a new album, Switch, with JD, returning them to the charts and as the band intended, back into a form of acceptance as In Excess 2.0. John Farris explains. We were trying to sort of get out of the the, the local pub. You know, and we wanted to go global. We wanted to get out there and we wanted to go, okay, there's got to be someone out of 8 billion people, uh, you know, who, who we haven't met before, some interesting exotic something from somewhere, you know, that can pop up and go, wow, well, we've never known unless you tried. We're certainly not going to do it looking around the local pubs of Australia, and, and we could have, and we did that. But we also recognise that um, doing something, an experimental sort of show like we did, which was completely risky. And again, we're talking about, you know, just taking on huge risks was what we did. We took huge risks. That's, you don't get anywhere unless you do, you know. And so all of that's history. But I'm glad we did it. I really am. And I don't sort of have any regrets. I think a lot of it was very tough. I think it was really hard for a lot of the time. It was really hard for us. It was really hard for a lot of the fans. It was really hard for for some of the singers who were there too. But it was real, you know, it really was trying to find a needle in a haystack. And we knew that the process was going to escalate us into the public forum. However, the rock star in excess outcome wasn't exactly how in excess had imagined, as John Farris now exclusively reveals. Look, we all wanted it to be a girl. We loaded it with girls. It was 15 contestants. It was eight girls and seven guys, Okay. We already had the name of the album called Switch. It was meant to be Switch to a Girl. I mean, the whole thing was all set up perfect, you know. She wasn't there. That, that was the real honest truth of it. And, and anyone could, could get upset and have a tangy. But the fact is that, sorry, on the day when we had to tally up who was the best performance, the girl didn't make it. But I still reckon a girl singer for an excess would be awesome. <laughs> I still believe that. I honestly do. Uh, you know, it just, it just isn't what, what God wanted at that time. Now in 2022, looking back on the moment that could have been, Susie DeMarkey said that it was that concept of a female fronting in excess that got her interested in the offer to join the band. The idea of getting a girl I thought was a good idea because Michael is very difficult to... You can't replace Michael. There's just... Nobody can replace him. So if a girl did it, they could not get the immediate comparisons, maybe... But fate was not done with In Excess yet. The JD Fortune years imploded in 2011 and the band decided yet another singer was the answer, in the form of Irish muso Kieran Gribben, who Andrew Farris had been riding with and recommended to the brothers. Convinced he was the answer, even now he says he knew the reaction to another singer fronting In Excess would bring further speculation. It became a little bit of a media joke, I think, with In Excess was... 
who's your singer now? You know, we get these sort of sarcastic comments going along from time to time. And I thought, well, if you stop and think about it for a minute, can you imagine the Rolling Stones without Mick Jagger or you 2 without Bono? Uh, and then you think about the members of the band, how are you going to deal with that? Uh, it's a very interesting question because no one is replaceable. Not you, not me. We're all slightly different as people. And that's the thing. And the thing I thought with Kieran that I introduced him to other guys in the band, I thought, well, you know, it just might work because he is a singer-songwriter. You know, he, he, he didn't start off as a as kind of one of those guys that runs around on stage and, you know, entertains like that. And I was also open to the idea of a female singer for the band. I, I had really hoped that I could pull that one off. But unfortunately, I just couldn't couldn't get everyone on board for that idea. But I, I thought if we did that, we would have been the first band in the world to ever do that. Jimmy Barnes backs him in and says In Excess should have never been criticised for continuing on after Michael passed away. They have a catalogue of fantastic songs. They were a great band. And and the thing was, was and, and I understand this because of my, my time with Chisel, they were a band that formed as kids and their whole sound formed around leaning on each other. Everything they did, you know, as much as Andrew wrote great songs and, you know, and John played great drums and, you know, Tim, they, they all leaned on each other and they all, they were the sum of all the members. And to take away any member at that time would have been crucial, but someone who is a point of connection with an audience. You know, this, as a singer, we, you know, not only do you have to sing the melodies and sing, but you're like the point where an audience plugs into the band. And to take that away from them was a really cruel thing because they had lost their connection to an audience. And I thought the fact that they've tried over the years with different singers was a really brave thing to do. I thought, you know, that that first run they did with Terence Trent Darby, I thought was uh, was you know, pretty amazing. And apparently he's a very difficult man, uh, but but it was a great front man for them. You know, I thought John Stevens did a great job with them. As a musician, you know, you, their world came tumbling down already. They did not deserve to have music taken away from them. And uh, and I just thought, you know, it was very brave of them to continue on. They had to keep giving that music to the people because Michael, well, that's what Michael would have done. On November 11, 2012, In Excess announced they'd performed their final live show, hanging up the dream of continuing in a post-Michael Hutchins world. Around about the time that we were still performing, you know, like I said, you know, there was some sort of cynicism with some people. Who's your singer now? Well, now they don't have a choice anymore. We made our own decision to do something. And I'm proud of that, that we weren't forced to do anything. We just looked at each other and went, let's just stop doing this. And an interesting thing is, ever since we've done that, not just in Australia, but overseas, a lot more people are a lot more interested in our band. Ironically, around this time, Chris Murphy would come back on board as manager, keen to change the perception of the band he'd helped shaped and reposition them for the noughties and beyond. I was trying to sort out the next move for In Excess and, and try to fulfil my goal, or my objective, my five-year objective to recreate the In Excess name or brand bigger than it was before. That was the pressure I put on my plates myself, this time without a singer. The miniseries Never Tear Us Apart in 2014 sent In Excess music back into the charts and introduced them to the streaming generation. John Farris agreed with Chris Murphy's band-to-brand theory. What he's meaning is maybe it's time now to celebrate the first part. So we went back to with Michael, the In Excess that people remember and know the simple part. <laughs> the, sim- the simple theory or the simpler theory. 
and of course that was the, the, the brand that we wanted to reestablish because it was becoming quite confusing who's singing with NXS now is, is a running joke, you know. Um, but there was some method in that madness. In 2019, Richard Lowenstein released a documentary, Mystify, where Michael's bandmates, friends and girlfriends talk candidly about his life and his death with the blessing of Michael's daughter, Tiger Lily, in a rare act of public support, as the director explains. She's incredibly private and um, she would like it to stay that way. And um, it's very hard to um, imagine the full level of what she's sort of been through. Of course, when she sort of pokes her head up, everybody wants a piece of her. Everybody wants to meet her and go, you know, I loved your father and everything. And she's, I just think she's um, trying to live a quiet life. After all these years of triumph and tribulation, of heartache and loss, the In Excess legacy is strong. For a band who are incredibly prolific, there continues to be reissues for key anniversaries. Andrew Farris has now launched a country career. While the pandemic had put his touring on hold, he's now able to take his music to America as well as all around Australia. Andrew says he's noticed important differences between country and rock. And the thing I love about country music in particular is that the same respect is given to the older community of people in country music in the United States. And I think that is one of the big differences between pop and rock is that, you know, you're just old, you know, and they laugh at you or whatever they do. But in country, I guess they can still laugh at you. But the difference is there is a different kind of respect. But is there a world where In Excess could ever perform live again? The band aren't so sure. At the moment, we don't want to play live. Um, however, I, I don't know. I, I very much doubt it. Someone said to me the other day, have you heard of one of the In Excess cover bands? There's many of them running around all over the world, but in particular in Australia. And it went along and the whole place was going nuts and it would have been like an old pub gig. And I thought, well, you know what? Maybe we should just leave it like that because people love that. And that's great. David Graham has been in Melbourne In Excess tribute band In Excessive since the 90s. He says the band's music has never been more popular as they continue the legacy across the country. Look, you know, if they're not in a position where they are able to perform, then look, we certainly are keeping their fire burning for all the In Excess. And there's a, believe me, there's a lot of adoring In Excess fans out there that really appreciate seeing a quality tribute band like In Excessive perform on the largest scale. But after all these years, Kirk Pengilly has come to a place of solace. Accepting of the past, he's now content with the band's future. You know, we, we did our last show in 2012. Um, so, uh, and we decided to, to stop at that point. And here we are 10 years later. Um, so I, I, I don't foresee that In Excess will, you know, perform again. Um, certainly, we, you know, we've no intentional plans to record or anything like that. So that can be put to bed. The presence of Michael Hutchins still shadows a band of brothers. He remains here, ever present, 25 years after he vanished from our lives. Michael's left this image of one of the most charismatic, uh, fragile frontmen in, in the world. You know, I mean, I think there's a lot of lessons to be seen from him about that growing from insecurity into having the world in your hand and still realising how fragile it's all been. You can get it all, you can do it all, but if you can't hold on to everything around you at the same time, it's not worth anything. 
I think musically, Michael's legacy, he was an incredible frontman, incredible singer. He wrote great lyrics. I think that band grabbed a snapshot of what youth were thinking and what music was about in the late 80s, 90s. And just like nobody else, they sort of changed the face of music. Perhaps record industry executive and author Dorothy Carvello knows what needs to happen next. They need to be in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. That's the first thing that needs to be done. And then they need to be in the Songwriters Hall of Fame because the fans want to hear the music. And it's the, that is in itself the greatest tribute to the songwriting of Michael Hutchins and Andrew Ferris, who I feel are as good as Bernie Taupin and Elton John, John Lennon and Paul McCartney. Great songwriters. Stars of today still revere the band as pioneers who made timeless music. From Cav Tempoli of Eskimo Joe to Vance Joy. He was our first bona fide rock star and everyone wanted to be him, you know, and coming from an era where Australia wasn't cool and now Australia's cool, which is great, from bands like, you know, U2 to, you know, everyone, they all wanted to imitate him and that is amazing. And so for him to pass away was really, truly sad. And now that I'm older than he was when he died, I realise how young he was as well, which is, you know, kind of shocking and sad, but his legacy will clearly live on forever. Just recently I've been you know, kind of learning a cover of one of their songs, that song Don't Change, and the lyrics are so amazing. And then it kind of started me on a journey of listening to more of their music and he seems like a beautiful, sensitive person, but lyrics are fantastic. And he, I guess when you have a, a magical combination of people and they get in a groove of songwriting, uh, I think they're an example of that just repeatedly going back to the well and making incredible songs. 25 years after his passing, all the drama has been forgotten and Michael Hutchins is remembered as a musical legend. So says Susie DeMarkey. He was one of the greatest performers in a rock band ever. He became very serpent-like and, and commanding of a crowd without even trying. You know, it was just in him. And he... He just had something really aloof and special about him that is very appealing in a rock star sort of personality. Um, Beautiful man. Yeah, he was really, he was just a great rock star, you know. Behind the Hits, Michael Hutchins' In Excess was hosted by Cat Lynch. It was written by Cameron Adams, audio production by Dom Evans and produced by Georgie Page. If you need to speak to someone about any of the topics covered in this episode, call Lifeline 24-7 on 13 11 14. Listener.